Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. If there is one woman who knows how to reset in style, it's Dr. Julia Jones, otherwise known as Dr. Rock. And who better for me to talk to on International Women's Day? Julia Jones is a neuroscientist who uses biohacks to boost wellness and fuel performance. She's built her career beating to her own drum, carving new pathways in the neuroscience space and making ways by exploring how we can use music and other things to improve focus, bond with those around us and calm and centre ourselves to achieve inner harmony. In our conversation, she takes me through the personal reset she has made to improve her physical health and explains why we need to start thinking about fitness and wellness as separate entities. Julia talks about some of the ways we should rethink our traditional health habits and details why gut health, one of my absolute passions, is central to a peak performance. This is absolutely one of the most fascinating conversations I have had. I think you'll certainly come away feeling in the groove to try something new. Oh, and by the way, if you enjoy it, please click on the subscribe button and tell your friends. Thank you. Julia Jones, PhD, and probably one of the most, I don't know, you've got more qualifications than I can even mention. Um, I first met you when you were Dr. Rock. And for those people that can actually see you, you are surrounded by so many guitars and musical things and pictures. Um, and you've spent actually probably all your life really talking about the importance of music, wellness, well-being. And then um, most recently, you've got your book, Neuron, which is all about me, around making smart wellness easier. Um, so we've got so much to cover today, but it's really, really lovely to see you. You too. Missed you. Oh, I know. I mean, that's just, isn't it one of the things about the pandemic is the people you work with all the time, you've had to see. But, you know, people like you and I that we see quite regularly, we just, just hasn't happened. And it, it's, it's horrid, really, isn't it? Two years. Two years. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, well, actually, in your book, we'll, we'll jump straight in and then we'll come back a bit. But, you know, um, that I love Neuron because it's so fascinating. It's one of the books, you know, you kind of sent it to me. I started reading it at the weekend and I literally didn't put it down. And I love the way that at the end of some of the chapters, you've got these kind of realizations, these aha moments for me. Um, 
And there's a lovely, really straightforward one, Realisation 19. Our working life doesn't provide enough social connections anymore. It says here, many employees don't form a strong, close relationship, friendship with any work colleagues. You know, one of the things I know from the work we've been doing is so hard, particularly because of COVID. And now, because so many people are working from home, is in some ways our relationships are brilliant. You know, for me, Jazz and Sam living at home has been amazing. But I've really missed, for me, that kind of extended friendships. Um, is there a, a neurological reason behind that? Why is it that we that we need those kind of friendships and relationships in the first place? Mm. Well, I mean, even just being in social, you know, engaging socially is a significant part of our autonomic nervous system of engaging facially with someone reading their gestures, reading, you know, figuring out, am I in danger? Am I safe? What should the response be? How do I respond to this person? And um, um, Professor Sophie Scott at UCL does really interesting research around this, the neuroscience of, of kind of laughter and just talking and being in that in that social environment with people. And it's a big, big part of our you know human evolution of how we how we interact with one another and even before covid this was all going pear shaped you know pe people just didn't socialize in the way or or bond in the way that they used to and there's many reasons for that you know with my grandparents era they worked in the same place for 30 40 years you know it was a job for life so you made very very strong friendships with people who probably lived locally as well so they were, you knew their children it was they all went to the same school and you know we we just don't live like that or work like that anymore and when people are commuting and there's pressures time pressures working later having to get home blah blah, blah though that kind of social engagement even before COVID just hasn't been happening in the, in the same way. Um, and I, I tell you where this also popped up. Um, oh, your fabulous friend, his book, The Joy of Work. Oh yes, Bruce Daisley. Yes, right, he mentioned this as well. Um, and there's been quite a lot of research studies that have, that have homed in on it. And it's like, well, you know, COVID is making it even worse now because we don't, we really don't see as many people as as we did so it's mm. how is that going to play out in terms of you know th this is a big part of the pre-dementia journey of yes not conversing and part of that goes back um and again this is professor sophie scott is d digging into this in a deep way about hearing loss so as as you you know as you age the hair cells in your ears do not function as well you, you can start to, to it can start to be difficult to hear conversations in loud places and in pubs and bars and things like that and that lack of being able to converse then people tend to not go to those places because they struggle to hear and converse and then that also yeah. makes them even more socially isolated and that goes back mm -hmm. and our brain we need that human engagement as part of our stimulation on a day-to-day -day basis. That's so interesting. I really noticed that with my parents, actually, um, during COVID time, and particularly my stepfather, who just hadn't met enough people, and his hearing's not great anyway. But so his hearing was worse, wasn't wearing his hearing aid, 
but but also they just, they just got out of the habit yeah and and therefore all sorts of things were happening and, and it's so lovely to see now that they're seeing people again just how engaged they are and you know it is changing and getting better which is yeah. which is equally lovely as well because I worried that it might not happen it, you know it might be that that was a deterioration and we wouldn't see it be able to change again yeah. and I, I mean I this this kind of started for me years ago when I came out of sport and exercise science, because it clearly wasn't, you know, producing healthy nations, even by the end of the nineties, it was a genius business model, but it, it just wasn't the way, you know? And so I started looking at more of that social health, right. you know, music as a glue, bringing people together socially using music. And because music has been doing that for tens of thousands of years. Um, and, Ironically, now I've come right full circle back to that because the whole smart wellness and neuron, the neuron approach is right. We've got this ancient brain, this ancient biology, and we're expecting it to operate in this modern world with this ancient operating system that, that it still has. You know, it, that's clearly not going to work. So the route to wellness is right. What are the things that we need to give our brain? for our brain to feel safe and our biology to be functioning optimally. And that is daylight, yeah. sound, timed eating, the right plants, uh, you know, cold water, th things that yeah. we've, we've evolved through human beings, it, right? The stuff that we've, we've spent a very long time, our biology has evolved using those cues. Yeah. as sensory inputs and so mm. and this to me is why when you know my journey of like all the decades i said oh no you need to join a gym you need to join a gym and you know my sport and exercise hat on and then it's like no actually fitness and wellness are two completely different things and that's the message that we need to get out right now is is when i speak to people and i say i'm involved in health everyone says oh i must you know get to the gym or i'm going to yeah. join it or i must get fit no you need to get well you only need to get fit if you want to go and do a 10k race or something or something competitive then you need to increase your fitness if yeah. you want wellness it's something completely and utterly different and that's where we've been going wrong so it's it's a really fascinating time because it is really is yeah it is really fascinating and actually just on that point because i think you know one of the and I haven't got it exactly in front of me, but you you did a piece of studying, didn't you, around the optimal amount of time that you need to spend on exercise. And that actually you said you don't need to go running. You need to be able to increase your heart rate. Just tell us a little bit about that, because that was, a, again, for me, I'm like, gosh, this is really interesting. So, well, we, we've kind of been drilling home this message that people have got to do intense exercise and... For, for you know what why why do we need at that these exercises these fitness protocols came out of elite sport right that's where they came from they were the sports science labs that i was that i was in we were like how do you make people faster stronger you know more agile faster reflexes how do you do that for, for elite competition that drifted out into the mainstream as the kind of fitness, you know, explosion and exercise to music and Jane Fonda and all of that, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. And, and it exploded in, in, a, in a massive way. But that exploded because we were trying to convince ourselves that we could 
compensate for our terrible eating habits by doing more exercise, right? So by yes. burning more calories, we can offset the weight gain that's being driven by our, our poor eating habits. And it turns out that you cannot do that. You know, you cannot fix your poor eating habits because they also affect your gut as well as your waist. So we yes. actually, from a movement point of view, we need movement for circulation. We need movement so that our blood and our lymph and everything is, is, is flowing. We, we need movement so that our food and waste products and fiber is moving all the way through our digestive system and then exits. We need movement for that. So we all only really need to be getting up more each day, standing up more, going for a walk, preferably in natural daylight. Yes. Right. That's all you need. And that's why I've been telling people and the, the kind of message that came out of the book and the, the experiment I did on myself is that I spent decades telling people to join a gym. And now I tell everyone to cancel their gym membership and spend the money on getting well. So food, mm. gut test, going outside, mm. Closing your eyes, doing a bit of breathing, meditating, none of that costs money, right? The, yeah. the, the, the essential spend is food, and that's, that's abundantly yeah. clear now. Yes, and I'll just talk a little bit about food, because you, when I, you know, I, I've known you quite some time now, you are very good, and you talk about in the book, about eating at particular times. So, you know, I have always been a bit of a grazer. Um, you know, I have tried to do the eating early thing and then having sort of 12 hours or more in between my last food. And the f I literally I just don't think my body's made like that. But but you see real benefits of that and also the variety of food that you have to eat. Tell me a little bit about, about that, because definitely the variety of food is something I hadn't thought about, but does make a really big difference, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so I've been diving into the longevity science right, for the last few years, and all the longevity scientists are using intermittent fasting. So at least four days a week, they are delaying their breakfast till kind of 11, 12, 1, and having an earlier dinner so that they've got 16 hours fasting period overnight. And it's, it's not once, once you get into it, you don't, I mean, you can have coffees and things, coffees yeah. and teas in the morning, but, but not, not food. And the reason is that again, back to our ancient biology, right? We didn't eat like, we didn't constantly eat because we had to go and find it and we didn't have refrigerators. So we didn't have the convenience of just keeping stuff fresh by, you know, you would literally go and have to find forage around for the food when you, when you wanted it. So our biology, when it's not digesting, it's doing housework, it's doing housekeeping. So it's, it's, we need to remove, you know, broken proteins and any waste products and things like that. So that happens during sleep as well. But also when you're extending that fasting period, you're just giving your cellular biology the time that it needs to kind of reset Word yes. you know very well, mm -hmm. and and then okay, it's done that job. Now we can go back and give it some more food, and it'll digest the food. And but if we're constantly eating, we're constantly digesting food because we're eating too late at night. We're eating too early in the morning. You know who told us to eat early in the morning? The breakfast cereal manufacturers told us to like. Yeah. As soon as you wake up, 
Well, none of the longevity scientists are doing that or the biohackers because the science around the mitochondrial research and the, the kind of telomeres and the, the, the rate at which we age, like our cellular aging, is it, it is kind of positively influenced when we do intermittent fasting. And so, mm -hmm. and that alongside the diversity of, you know, coming out of the, the gut microbiome research now is the fact that it's not the five a day message that we thought was right, because on five a day, I could have a banana every morning, I could have a, an apple, mm -hmm. you know, sometime in the afternoon, and I could have something else. And I could do that every day, and I could be ticking off the five a day. Well, that's only ticking off a handful of items, whereas the new scientific research shows that we need to have at least 30 different types of plants every week in order to boost gut diversity, yeah. because we've all got low gut diversity because of the processed foods we're eating and the sugar. Yes, it's and so, that, in, yeah, it's, you know, it's so interesting. So when I first saw a gut specialist a number of years ago, having, having had cancer treatment, having had amoebic dysentery, Calum uh, Gore was amazing and he's just fascinating. And I did those tests and it came back that basically everything that I eat every day, like bananas, cucumber, hummus. And he basically went, right, don't eat any of those. Stop eating those and then you can bring them back in again. But it was because I ate them every day. Exactly. And I, you know, and they weren't bad for me. I know, you know exactly. They that. were all good things, but I just, and, and it really made me think about that. And then I think for me, the other thing, and it, we were just talking about this before we came live. Um, you know, I have had chronic colitis for the last few months and it's been, you know, in some ways the most challenging time ever, but also in some ways a very eye-opening time for me because what I can now eat, the way I can eat has been completely, you know, I mean, it's not, I've never had anything like it. Um, and one of the things that my gastroenterologist said, and I've, you know, I've had a lot of treatment to try and cure my body of thinking that there's something wrong, although actually... Um, because of the immunotherapy it's actually there's nothing wrong at all really um, was this this amazing pre-probiotic called Simprove and I you know I'd said to the gastroenterologist is there anything else I could do when he said to me you might not get better which was absolutely not on my agenda I was you know and he said well you know a few people have tried this um, you know you've got to give it 28 days it might work it might not and I went oh you know what pre-probiotics they don't really work for me but it was literally after 28 days, bearing in mind, my diet is very, very minimal at the moment. I have to eat these things like white stuff that I probably have not eaten for 30 years, white bread, yeah. you know, no fiber. Yeah. Um, and, you know, about day 30, it was like a miracle had happened to my body. Um, you know, and it's like my whole body's woken up again and gone, okay, do you know, I can get better. And it feels like, a pre-probiotic, really simple that I take in the morning has made a massive difference. Yeah. And that, and you were, you know, in an extreme case of yeah, like, course. I've just been uh, with a client this morning who had a, quite a serious problem. And um, so we've had the same conversation that she can't eat any fiber right now until the flare up subsides. Mm -hmm. And then her job will be to try and rebuild that diverse colony of gut bacteria. 
right? And that's that's where I'm really keen that we don't start spreading this message that, oh, just take vitamin supplements and probiotics and prebiotics or symbiotics, and then don't worry about the rest. It's like, no, because we need the real food. We need the natural food. When, you know, the realizations in the front of my book, all of those things that we thought were going to be good for us, 20 years down the line, we realized that there was some kind of bad consequence to, to all of those things, right? And so right now, it's like, there cannot be, it cannot be better to be taking the synthesized version of, of things instead of taking them from the real yeah. food. If, if there's a medical reason, right? Like you are we're in a situation where you couldn't. So you need to use something like that and then go back to the to the real food. But most people don't know what a probiotic is, like a natural one. They don't know what a prebiotic is, natural one. They don't know what a polyphenol is. We've got a massive education gap that is fueling this gut dysbiosis that the research now shows is underlying all the chronic illnesses that have been killing us for generations. So we've got this big, you know, how do we get this knowledge out? It's going to take years for the government to change their five yeah. a day to 30 <laughs> diversity. Yes, yes, yes. And it's so, really easy to fix. So what sort of things can we naturally eat that are natural pre-probiotics? And what was that other word you said? Polyphenols. What's a polyphenol? So, so probiotics and, and prebiotics often get mixed up, like confused. A probiotic is live bacteria. So the, the aim to you know, all the research pouring out now is showing that we need to maintain a highly diverse colony of microbes in our gut. So tens of thousands of different types of bacteria in there. And probiotics are things like live yogurts kefir fermented vegetables sauerkraut kimchi that that you know they have live bacteria in them so when you eat those things you're putting new live bacteria yeah. into your gut but what happens if you don't also consume prebiotics is that they have nothing to eat right so they die right so so the prebiotics are is the fiber, the prebiotic fiber. So things like things that don't digest. So leeks, onions, mm. garlic, apples, things that 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 pretty much make it all the way through to the large intestine. So the bacteria can then feed on it. Because if they don't have anything to feed on, they first start feeding on the lining of the gut wall, which causes damage, or they die. And right. if you think of it, I I I explain it like a zoo if you think of it as a zoo right you've got loads of animals in the zoo and the you know the the lions need meat the monkeys want bananas the pandas want bamboo shoots the, yeah. you know the elephants want whatever the elephants are eating these days <laughs> right so but they all have particular dietary needs right they're all they're all animals in yeah. the zoo but they've all got slightly different biology. And if you just buy an absolute ton of bamboo shoots and bamboo leaves and, and feed all the animals with that, then you'll just be left with a zoo of pandas. Yes. Right? yes. 
And yeah. that's what our gut is like, is that we need to, to eat a really diverse range of plants because some bacteria will need that plant, some bacteria need that plant, some bacteria need that plant. And so to, to spread the diversity helps to nurture a really diverse gut microbiome. And this is new science, right, coming out, like pouring yeah. out the last kind of 18 months of huge studies, because before we used to think, oh, yeah, the the large intestine, you know, that's where the poop gets made, you know, all the, all the waste, it just yeah. gets packaged up by the, and then just so that we can excrete it. No, because it turns out that all these bacteria, the, the waste products that they, so they eat the prebiotic fiber and then they excrete metabolites, which we use for our immune system, for our neuro, neurological chemicals, serotonin, other, you know, cellular metabolic processes all the, they're like a chemical factory that maintain our entire body so we cannot function properly if we don't have all of those diverse tens of thousands of different types of bacteria working together to create the chemicals that we then use for all our other processes and this is the big mistake that we've all been making right all we need to do is to learn how to eat and go for a walk that's literally it, and then have a wonderful life. We, we've been really overcomplicated. So, well, I was going to say it's so simple, isn't it? And it then, is, it and it's so simple, and we we just haven't done it. But you know, I think it is interesting, isn't it? Because you know, we talk about going the five a day to thirty. There are still people that we work with every single week in their workshops that go, "I know I should do five a day, but I haven't really got around to doing five a day." So you know, you're very much at the advanced level. If we can't get people to even eat five a day, this is such a big challenge, isn't it? Yeah, so we, well, when the book, when the new book comes out in April, I've got a gut test that I'm launching. Oh, have you? That's yeah, exciting. and a food box, because oh. I'm gonna send 30 plant items to your door every week so you tick off 30 items and we can personalize it to your get gut test results so the things that arrive in your box are the things that are linked to whatever you're lacking in the gut test right so it's not sending you the oh here's a supplement it's like nope here from the farm here yes. we are here he is finished. I'm, I'm at the farm we are putting the tomatoes in the box or whatever it is yeah. and we're working with um a university with their their postgrad nutrition science students to help put you know put all this together because it's not as hard as you think right because when you when you consider that 30 types of plants is fruits vegetables nuts seeds beans yeah. herbs spices like even if you get a you know four a pack of mixed seeds that's four seeds on some yogurt yes yes Right. You're ticking yeah, off that's five. That's five. Ticking off five yeah. things there, and one is a probiotic. And the polyphenols that we didn't mention yeah. are the antioxidant-laden um, um, items. So things like dark chocolate, red wine, things with really dark skins, blueberries. Nice. So those three Ps are the key things. We need probiotics that put extra bacteria in. So the mm. fermented foods, yogurts, kefir, that stuff prebiotics so the vegetables in uh, fruits and vegetables that have prebiotic fiber so that the bacteria that you've just put in there have got something to eat and then the polyphenols which are the you know dark chocolate red wine 
Brilliant. Dark berries, the, yeah, you know, things with dark lovely. skin, really colourful stuff. Yeah, and lovely. A lot of people are moving towards vegetarian. And yeah, we've, we, we, and we have seen a big change. Um, you know, a lot more restaurants and places. So in your book, you know, as well as, um, you know, the kind of programme and all these great ideas and insights, it, you, you, you did it kind of as a personal test, didn't you, for a year yeah. and looked at how it optimised. And I think for me, that was as, as compelling in many ways. Um what was that like? What's what made you do it in the first place? Well, it was entirely for me. Okay. <laughs> because I'd been, you know, going to the gym, I had gym memberships and doing all this stuff that I'd been telling everyone else to do. And yet my sleep wasn't that great and my clothes were getting tighter and you know it's like well this isn't working and I know it doesn't work so why am I doing it and but but if this doesn't work then what does work so that was the reason for me doing it I cancelled my fitness subscriptions spent the money on a gut test and uh, an Ura ring and you know some smart tech wearables so that I could get the data so I could see what was going on the old biology and I, I actually tested myself again, November 20, uh, 2021. So in 20, so I started the experiment January 2020. So in 23 months, I have extended my life expectancy from 88 to 102. But most importantly, <laughs> I have extended my healthy life expectancy yeah. from 74 to 97, which is wow. 23 years, right? So that's 23 years yeah. in 23 months of just changing my habits. That's amazing. And, and how have you measured that? Because, you know, how can you, I mean, obviously we'll have to see whether you'll prove right, but <laughs> what, you know, is, is that, I mean, I love the sort of expression of woo-woo. Is that just kind of one of those things you go, oh, do this, it'll be amazing. Or can you, have you actually done something that you can measure? So th- those figures are based on actuarial science. So the insurance sector spends a lot of money trying to figure out when people are going to die and when people are going to get mm. ill. Uh, they, they crunch a lot of data in those uh, used in those algorithms to figure out you have to put in in detail what you do every day, you know, what do you eat, how do you eat it, what how much you drink, what do you do, blah, 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 blah. So those figures are from that kind of like uh, questionnaire based, you know, you say everything about your lifestyle and then it and then it predicts. But in addition to that, I did a biological age test, which is based on inflammation, because there's there's two key things now that are, that are coming out of the research showing underlying chronic illnesses. One is gut dysbiosis, so disbalance and low diversity of gut bacteria. And the other is chronic low grade inflammation, which creeps along silently for decades. We don't even realize it's there until it erupts into some kind of chronic illness. And in the UK now, you know, we're, we're diagnosed with the first chronic illness in our early 50s. So mm. I did a biological uh, test, which is a finger prick test uh, run by Glycanage. And everyone I've been testing, they are considerably older than their chronological age. Um, And I didn't test myself until I was a year into my experiment. So I'd already 
reduced weight. You know, I haven't been this weight since I was in my 20s and my sleep quality had improved and, you know, everything, my skin, stuff, all kinds of stuff had, had changed. And my biological age is now my chronological age. And I'm so 51. And but I'm pretty sure that if I had tested if I'd done a glycan test at the beginning, yes, I would have been 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, because the women that I am testing are coming out like a decade older because it's largely driven by estrogen as well. Because when we lose estrogen, our inflammation rates rise. And so we start to accelerate our, our cellular aging ex accelerates because of this rise in inflammation. And so there's now some really interesting research going on around the fact that, you know, HRT patches and things like that mm. are, are not just about alleviating symptoms. They are controlling the chronic inflammation, which is accelerating our cellular aging and leading to chronic disease, neurological and yeah. Okay, so that's not a good thing necessarily. So that's another downside, perhaps, of taking HRT. Is that no, no, saying? that's a good. That's a good. So it's thing. a good thing. Okay, right. right? Because estrogen. So so as as estrogen declines, inflammation rises because because estrogen and testosterone suppress inflammation. Right. So so as we lose inflammation, uh, estrogen. Inflammation, inflammation rises and inflammation mm. is accelerating our, our cellular age. Right. So, uh, so okay. when you when you supplement estrogen, then mm. you're suppressing inflammation, which is a good thing. And so yes. now there, there really is a lot of research looking at the fact that, you know, even if you don't have any menopausal symptoms that you want to sort out or anything, you should maybe still be on a on a, you know, supplementing uh hormones right. because of the infl because of the links now between chronic low-grade inflammation and chronic disease mm. that's interesting mm. um you know it's uh when this comes out it'll be uh, almost international women's day and you know you are doing quite a lot of work with women and talking to women and, and one of the things that we see a lot in the work that we do around uh, well-being and performance at work is that women have so many other things going on in their lives that they kind of know that they should be looking after their own well-being. They should be doing some of these things, but they don't make the time. They don't make the time for themselves because they're so busy looking after others. Um, have you found that both in yourself, but, but with some of the women that you're working with? And, and what can you recommend? You know, perhaps that there's a couple of things that we could do to even just make the time in our lives to be able to think about some of these things that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of juggling going on. Mm. And interestingly, when you look at the, you know, that people's knee jerk reaction is like, oh, yeah, I must get to the gym. Oh, yeah, I must get to my exercise class. And I'm like, just talk this through with yourself. Like, how long does it take you to go to the gym? You've got to get changed. You've got to drive. You've got to travel. You've got to you check in. You go to the locker room. Then you go and do your class. Then you've got to have a shower. Then you've got to change. Then you've got to get back to the car park. Then you've got to drive home. It's like two hours. Like, how much actual benefit does that have on your wellness? Mm. Minimal. Mm. To be honest with you, minimal. You could have just gone for a walk or gone yeah. and done, sat in a in a lovely local park, 
close your eyes, done a bit of breathing, and you would have done yeah. your biology more good, unless you're going to run a 10k race or something like that. You know, it's yeah. you have to think about how you use your time because if it's putting more pressure on, then it's then it's just not worth doing it, especially at after work, because then by the time you get home, you're eating late. If you yes. eat late, it impairs your sleep hours. quality. Right? Yes. And, it, and even you're not getting high quality sleep. And if you're not getting high quality sleep, then you, your body is not doing the restorative work that it does during delta wave sleep. And so you've actually negatively impacted your wellness by going and doing that class after work yeah. in the gym. Yeah. So no, it's about really that. thinking through that. You know, we've, we've been brainwashed into all these things that we thought were right. But yes, there's yes. a reason that 50 years of diet and fitness have not produced any healthy nations. No, no. And, you know, we, we've seen all these really frightening stats around our obesity rates. You know, they would not be increasing if if five a day was working, if, as you say, people were going to the gym and actually using it effectively. Right. Um, you know, I, I could absolutely carry on with this conversation forever. But I do want to talk a little bit about music because the music diet, music diet was your first book. Um, and you've done some extraordinary events, work, as well as the research you've done around the link between music and, and our own well-being. Tell us just a little bit about why, you know, I, I know that if I go to a live concert, even if I'm just listening to my Spotify, it makes me feel better. Um, but I don't think until I read the book, I realised kind of why it was and that different music can tap into different parts of our brain um, and we can use music in different ways. Well, it's my favourite biohack, as you know. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> so I was shown this by the US Navy SEALs. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but so when I was a sport and exercise science undergrad, early 20s, I was on a student exchange. I got to go to Los Angeles and the LA students got to go to Cardiff. <laughs> Wow! I, I love Cardiff. But I do think yeah. I got the best end of the deal there. And <laughs> while I was there, I visited a US naval base in San Diego. And the PTs were showing me how they were using music and sound and breathing and visualization to reduce anxiety and high stress situations, to improve sleep quality, to boost confidence, endurance, motivation, all that. And I was a musician and a DJ. So I just thought this was just mind blowing, right? It was mm -hmm. absolutely mind blowing. And, it, and it's not just, you know, you see them singing when they're doing their training. Ah, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they use it like that, but they use it in many, many, many more ways than that, in music and sound. Um, so I became obsessed with this. This was like the early 90s. I graduated, started working with the British Olympic teams, did the same thing, showing them how to use music and sound, and, and then started digging into it with kind of my neuroscience studies and deeper into the psychology of it and it turns out that it's such an effective tool because the ears lead to the brain and it's as simple <laughs> as, as that, that. Just... Like air molecules you know our, rocket science. Our, our brain over many many moons uses sound to determine whether we're in a threat situation or a safe situation yeah that sound is one of the inputs to the brain and that's that's what it's doing constantly am i safe and am i not am i safe am i not and so you know music is is just sound that is organized and it's air molecules that enter your ears 
move the hairs in the inner ear, an action potential is triggered, multiple areas of the, of the brain are activated. And it's a really fast acting neuromodulator. So influencing dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, or norepinephrine so for focus for bonding for calming you can slow brain waves you can speed up brain waves because sound is interpreted by the brain and turned into electrochemical action potentials so it's an unbelievable tool that really is overlooked and and mm. as you know i'm hugely passionate about this because it's it's just so simple but we turned music into a commercial commodity you know a product mm. and i i wrote the the dementia the music strategy for the nhs dementia village to ensure that music is in the heart of there because even in late stage dementia music still connects with that person right they'll still be able to sing the words to a song that they grew up with and music from our youth is particularly uh powerful but even from a day-to-day -day basis, you know, if you want to like start on a, on a high or if you're trying to boost energy, then the quickest way to do it is just like put some, some music on to get back in the room or in between mm. zooms, you know, reset brain chemicals, yeah. reset from, from beta brain waves could drop down into alpha just for like a quick, like brain reset. And before you're back on the next zoom so that you're, you're maintaining that kind of focus ability. Yeah. I mean, it is extraordinary, isn't it? It is a bit like, you know, for me, there are moments, you know, we talk about Simprove for me as a as, as literally like a miracle. I do think music um, used in that way is is so powerful. And I just didn't know it before. And, um, you know, so my lovely son came and did some work with you. And the two things Sam particularly talked about was the work you've done with the NHS and, and just kind of using um music in hospitals in in different areas that just has made such a difference um and the other one at being a commuter um you have for years looked after all the buskers or a lot of the buskers in london and kind of brought those together um and it is one of my it's actually one of the things i really missed about the commute not listening to those wonderful musicians um just tell me you know a little bit about that because it's just it feels I never even thought that anyone had to organize them for a start but you have done that and you've made such a big difference to our, our kind of social the social influence that you've had yeah so so that project came about in in a similar way really because I, I was on a lot of committees trying to save music in school curriculums trying to save music in the high street trying to save music here there and everywhere because music began to be positioned as noise yeah. and in London you know, there's so many expensive residential builds in, in the city centre now that um, and everyone is very sensitive to noise, shall we say. So the Westminster City Council and well, all the local authorities were getting complaints about buskers. So it's like, oh, there's someone playing music. You know, it's like, well, they've been doing that for a century in London, you know, like street performance is not a new thing. It's been around a very long time. But now we have these very expensive residential apartments and um, people do complain. So we ha we had to, we were engaged by the mayor of London to, who was Boris Johnson at the time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> to, to figure out how to reposition busking. Uh, so we created the Busk in London scheme as a 
you, you, you know, young musicians development platform really to, to talent development. Mm. So doing lots of, not just, not just, um, uh, programming them into public spaces, but also working with brands and doing a lot of public engagement with experiential with different brands and things like that. And it's, uh, yeah. It, and it's, it's because, you know, it's now cool. It's cool. Busking is kind of cool. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking responsibility for that personally, but there's definitely been a shift in mm. mindset about how busking was perceived five years ago when we started this project and how it's perceived now, because now land private landowners are wanting to animate their spaces and their stores and things like that with with cool young music talent right and yeah and these buskers are the beauty of a busker is that they can just pop up anywhere with a battery powered amp and they and they've got the confidence to just engage yeah. the audiences in a public place because you try busking in leicester square you know especially female buskers in leicester square on a saturday night when you've got a lot of guys yeah. who've had a few drinks yeah and yeah you, you have to be able to manage the crowd right and that's a skill in itself to be able yeah. to like hold your own in an environment like that and be able to keep control of of the people and and to and to really win them over it's it's yeah. fascinating it's 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 really amazing like confidence building exercise doing something like that yes yes oh absolutely absolutely um look we're almost out of time um this podcast is called Reset and we've talked a lot about resetting um, and, you know, it's lovely in this book and I know in the next book, it, it's as much about your personal journey as it is around what we can do to help ourselves um, and the kind of program you can go. Um, you know, you've, you've said gut health, walking, sleeping is so important. But if you, as you reflect on perhaps actually all three of this trilogy that you've written and yourself, um, what is your number one reset? You know, when you feel like you're getting a little bit out of control or a little bit overexhausted or working too much, is there something you do and you go, right, I need to reset myself. This is what I'm going to do. Yes. It's called a physiological sigh. Do you, know, do you know the physiological sigh? Come on, you tell me. Okay, so, so University in California first discovered this in mice but it also is highly effective in humans and it's really easy so when, when you're in a moment where you know we suffer from overwhelm you know when you're in an overwhelm moment it's like oh, yes hard. I know lots of those <laughs> so you need a very quick like reset and uh, or if you're in a very anxious moment right and you want to want to reset autonomic nervous system you breathe in twice and then followed by an extended exhale, right? So, so I'm going to do it now, but okay. in audio only, it's not going to probably mean as much as visually. So you'll have to describe it, but you breathe in twice. Yeah. So. Right. So, so you breathe in and then yeah. immediately at the end of the inhale, you snuff in a bit more air because that expands the sacs in your lungs to their full capacity, which maximizes the gas exchange across that surface area, right? So you get the maximum carbon dioxide coming out, the maximum oxygen going into the bloodstream, and then the extended exhale following that engages the vagus nerve and shuts you back into parasympathetic nervous system mode. So it's like, so we've been doing extended exhales for decades, but when I saw this physio physiological sigh, 
study uh, a couple of years ago it's like wow that's fascinating yeah. and it works and it's so actually just having done that I just sort of feel like I've suddenly I could a little bit lighter like I can breathe a bit more it's it's, it's very clever isn't it it's easy and no one even knows you're doing it I mean I exaggerated it then yeah so of course see me doing it but you know no one needs yeah. to know that you're doing a physiological sigh it's just like a double yeah. inhale followed by an extended exhale brilliant Brilliant. Well, look, um, Julia, Dr. Rock, thank you so much for that conversation. We've covered so many things. Um, you know, really looking forward to your third book coming out in April. Uh, people can buy, where can they buy the books? I, I believe the saying is that all good bookstores. <laughs> all <laughs> good bookstores. In, in, reality, in reality, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, Amazon. We love that. We love a book on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and uh, and actually companies can get uh, the program um, as well. Uh, we've got some videos that are coming out on Let's Reset Plus of you so people can see you. We might take a little bit of a few clips from this uh, so people actually, we, can, we might be able to take that little bit about that breathing now. Um, we can share that on social media, but thank you. It's always so lovely to talk to you and I can't wait, um, you know, despite all this healthy eating and living and everything else, we still know that a gin and tonic is really good for us, don't we? I am counting down the days until you and I can get together and reenact our love of gin. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Rock, thank you so much and I will see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.